0: I wonder whether you've ever had a time, a hard time, where you've wondered whether God really cares. Sort of a time where things got pretty dark. I remember one particular moment a long time ago, uh, when I was at uni actually here uh, as a student, um, a relationship that I was in, I've been in for over a year, uh, broke up uh, unexpectedly to me and I just remember being in my bedroom literally on my knees calling out to God God why has this happened Why, why have you let this happen to me I'm hurt I'm in pain I don't want this to have happened like it's what what are you doing do you care Are these just words? Maybe you've had a situation like that, where you've been crying out to God and actually wondering, is he there? Is he listening? Does he care at all? It might have been when a relationship broke up. It might have been that someone who you're close to has passed away, maybe unexpectedly. It might be when you lost a job. Or it might be when you failed an exam or maybe a whole subject and had to repeat something. Or it might have been when you suffered some sort of injustice. People were saying things about you that just weren't true. Or maybe an institution mistreated you or maybe a family member or a friend mistreated you and you cry out to God. I wonder if you've had those sort of situations in your life. If, if you have, then you'll know what I'm talking about those dark moments where it really doesn't seem like there's any light at the end of the tunnel if you've not had those moments you probably will I'm not trying to be particularly negative about it I'm just saying you probably will have those moments and in those moments when you cry out to God which the statisticians the demographers tell us that lots and lots of people in Australia even those who don't really believe in God still cry out to God in those dark moments does he actually hear you? Can you be sure? Does he really care? I want to play you a clip uh, here. I'm not sure why this is not working on your screens. Let's see if we can make it work again. Oh, you'll have to watch the front ones, okay? I'm going to try and play a little clip here from a movie. It's an, an older movie. It's called The Apostle. Um, the character who we're going to see here, his name is Sonny. He's just a middle-aged man. He's just got some really bad news, namely that he's discovered his wife has been having an affair. And he's someone who believes in God. And so he's, he's having it out with God about what's happened. Let's see what he says. That's a, life. That's, my church. That's a temple I've built for you. And the one given to you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my way, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a much. So I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So at me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I want to know what I, I But I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I always told you Jesus, you always call me Sunday. What should I do, Jesus? It's the Sunday talking now. All right. Look at that. he the Lord, and yells Tonight he just happens to be You don't Sometimes he talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells to the Lord tonight he just happens to be yelling to the Lord I don't know if you've ever yelled to the Lord but that experience of crying out to God does he hear does he care if you're not familiar with it you will be and so I remember that moment where I was on my knees saying to God what the heck are you doing God if I sort of stopped and sort of thought about what I was doing at that moment It becomes even more improbable that god actually would care that is i'm just kneeling in my little bedroom amongst a city of five six million people in a country of 25 million people in a world of seven billion people and yet we're only just on a little planet in just a little corner of a massive universe, and if the one true living God revealed in the Christian Bible is the one who created and sustained all of that, is he going to be hearing me? Is he really going to be caring about me or you when you call out to him? Now, the good news of the Christian Bible, which we're going to be exploring today, is that he does hear you. He tells us that when you cry out, he hears you. And what's more, he remembers his promises to you. He sees you in your situation and he knows what that means. That's the good news that we're going to see today. And, and these are very precious truths, may I say, because dark times, they come. And when you're in those dark times, you want to know these truths, that they are indeed truths that you can hold on to in those dark moments. He hears He remembers, he sees, and he knows. I reckon if I say that about another 10 times, those four verbs, you'll get it. So I'm just going to keep going and saying those four things, right? And eventually you might remember those truths, because these are wonderful truths from the one true living God. Now, we're going to see this in the opening uh, section of the book of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, or you can call it up on your phone, it'd be really helpful to open to the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Christian Bible The first book is the book of Genesis. Why does that matter? Because Exodus is a continuation of a story that's already begun. So to understand the book of Exodus, we do need to come to grips, first of all, with the book of Genesis. Now, I can summarize, fortunately, the book of Genesis into pretty much three words, all starting with C, so easy to remember. Genesis is about creation, corruption and covenant. That is, it describes the one true living God creating all things including human beings as his image bearers in his world. However, human beings reject God's word and his way. And as a result, sin enters the world, which corrupts all of our relationships. It corrupts our relationship with the one true God. It corrupts our relationships with each other. It corrupts our relationship even with the created order in which he's placed us. But because of his great love, God doesn't want to let human beings suffer in that corruption, that corrupted state. And so the one true living God brings about a series of promises, which are called covenants in the Bible, agreements that he establishes. And in Genesis, one of the important covenants that he establishes is with a guy by the name of Abraham. He says to Abraham, this is my covenant, my agreement with you. You are going to become the father of a great nation of people. And I'm going to take you and place you in a particular land that I've chosen for you. And through you and your descendants, the whole of the world will be blessed. I'm going to sort of restore my good intentions for my creation through the promises I'm making to you and through your descendants. So that's the story of Genesis, right? Creation, corruption, but then covenant. Now notice, if you've got your Bible there, notice the very end of the book of Genesis, just before we get to the beginning of Exodus. Notice how the book of Genesis ends, because it sets up what the book of Exodus is going to reveal to us. If you've got your Bible there, I'm looking at Genesis chapter 50, or call it up on your phone. If you don't have a Bible app, maybe go to BibleGateway.com, have a look at it there. Exodus chapter 50, jumping in at verse 24. Then Joseph, who was one of Abraham's descendants, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land that he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they're not in the land that God had promised to Abraham, they're in this other land. Where are they? It turns out they're in Egypt. So Abraham's descendants are stuck in Egypt, not in the land that God had promised. Verse 25, and Joseph made his, the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The story is incomplete. The promise has been made to Abraham, but here's Abraham's descendants stuck in Egypt. In fact, there's Joseph dead in a, in a coffin. So the story of Genesis isn't complete. And that launches you then into what happens next in the book of Exodus. Now, we're looking today at just Exodus, a bit of an overview of Exodus chapters 1 to 6, which we don't have time to look at all the details, which is why I encourage you to go away and read it. And it is a good read. Um, But I've divided the book of, sorry, chapters 1 to 6 into six sort of sections. And what we're going to do is we're going to work together as a team to try to summarise... The narrative summarize what happens in these first six chapters and what we're going to do is you're going to take one particular grouping from one, one through to six and there's going to you see there's two passages listed there in each grouping and i want you to read it and then summarize what happens in one sentence so you'll come up with two sentences right one for each of the two passages in your grouping does that make sense um, now some of the passages are very short, so that's easy. Some of them are longer, so you're going to have to just use all of your Sydney Uni student skills and read fast, right? So it might even be that you just read it, don't read it out aloud. You read it yourselves and then spend the time discussing what you think the key point is. Does that make sense? Okay. So how many t- we've got? you going to get you. Ah, you could have been a group of one. Uh, that's fine yeah you can join wherever you like so how many tables we got we've got five tables so we're gonna go you're gonna do number one yep number two number three number four number five and number six does that make sense you have five minutes okay And then he gets <laughs> married and then he goes, Nope, to some old the And you that was. All right, let's, uh, let's see how, how you went. Uh, so I'm going to try to draw out your summaries and use that to tell the overall story of Exodus 1-6. to Let's see how we go. Group 1, yep, so there were two passages there. First of all, chapter 1, verses 1-6, to six, how would you summarise? yes okay so first of all verses 1 to 6 notice if you've got your bible there let's flick through some of these chapter 1 verse 6 now joseph and all of his brothers and the, all that generation died now what was the promise the promise was that you know the descendants would be given the land but it starts out the book the book starts out with the whole generation died in egypt it starts out at a fairly negative note but then chapter 1 verse 7 as we just saw if you'll see there in your bible but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly became exceedingly numerous so the land was filled with them what had been the promise God had made to Abraham he would become the father of a great nation so even in the midst of that generation dying yet still God seems to be doing something positive about the promise fruitful and multiplying let's move to group two Uh, chapter one verses eight to eleven was the first bit what happens Yes, so the Israelites grow, the the Egyptians go, this is bad. So now they're not just stuck in Egypt, now they're made slaves in Egypt. This is a terrible thing. To have your freedom curtailed, to actually be made, to be oppressed into slavery. It goes from bad, stuck in Egypt, to worse. Slaves in Egypt. And yet, chapter 1, verse 12. Um, (laughs) And yet... They multiplied even more. God seems to be doing something in this. Group three. What happens when you get to chapter one, verse 15 and 16? Um, the king of Egypt orders the Hebrew midwives to kill. All the baby boys. Okay, so they're not just slaves. Now there's a command of Pharaoh to kill all the boys. The midwives, the Israelite midwives, after when the baby comes out, girl, fine. Boy, kill it I mean, That's a terrible thing right it's just, it's just shocking. but what what happens? chapter one verse 17 to twenty one So it's interesting the midwives choose to fear God, not Pharaoh, they disobey Pharaoh. What's the excuse that they come up with? To Pharaoh. The Hebrew women, they are so fit, man. They okay. seriously, they have just, they've had that baby and up they go and out they go. And by the time we turn up ready to deliver the baby, they're gone. Like, they're just super fit. And what you notice is, which I think you said, you notice that actually the text says they multiply even more. So yes, there's a plot to kill the boys, but actually the midwives come through and in fact they multiply even more. So you you get the pattern that's sort of establishing here. You'll notice that at one level their situation is, is going from not great to quite bad, like worse. They start off stuck in Egypt. They then end up enslaved in Egypt. They now end up being actively sort of moved against by Pharaoh to actually kill them off. And yet in the middle of that, simultaneously with that, God seems to be working towards the fulfillment of his promise. Both things happening together at the same time. It's often like that. Even in the midst of things going from bad to worse, even in your life, my life, the one true living God can still be working out, in fact he is still working out, his good purposes in the midst of that bad situation the two things can be happening simultaneously now what happens next we're up to group 4 group 4 chapter 1 verse 22 Um, Pharaoh Pharaoh has another go kill the boys number two this time the boys are to be thrown into the river I mean I can't even get my mind around that can you imagine all of the Israelites having to throw their kids, their male kids, into the river, mass drowned. Like it's just, it's horrible to even think about. And yet, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, what do we read? Um, Moses is saved, John, and kept by so Moses is uh, one particular Hebrew boy, Israelite boy. His parents do the right thing. That is, he is put into the river, but they put him in in a basket. And who wouldn't take that action, right? Yes, being obedient to Pharaoh, but put him in a basket. They put him in the basket. They leave his older sister by the river to see what happens, which is a horrible job. Imagine that. But then Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, probably to bathe. And they find Moses. In the basket. They can tell it's an Israelite baby boy, right? Because circumcised, as the Israelite boys were. So they know that it's an Israelite boy. The older sister, super clever, Sydney uni graduate or potential <laughs> potential student anyway, she she comes forward and says, I can see it's a Hebrew boy, it's an Israelite boy. Would you like me to get an Israelite nurse to look after the boy for you? I mean, Pharaoh's daughter's not going to feed the kid. And so Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, that'd be great. So off goes the daughter and gets her mum, Moses' mum, to be the nurse. So actually Moses gets to grow up with his own family. And then when he's grown, he is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter into the royal family. He literally becomes a prince in Egypt. Can you imagine if that were you? You go home this afternoon, check your emails, and you get a random email that's just saying, we've now, dis- "We've now discovered, actually, that you're a long-lost cousin, uh, invite you to come to the palace in England to sort of receive your sort of due. Like, can you imagine, actually, if you were inher- like you were adopted by royalty, like the change that would go on in your life? That's what happened to Moses. He was adopted as royalty. So whilst Pharaoh's trying to kill all the boys, here is one particular boy who actually gets elevated to this incredibly powerful position. And you would have to think, here's the saviour. Here's the one God's going to use to bring about the rescue, right? Surely. But what happens next? Uh, Group number five, chapter two, verses 11 to 22. Yeah, so um, instead of, one of his Hebrew um, brothers and then he runs away scared and then hides Midian and he gets a wife has a son. Um, well see I think Moses might have been trying to be a savior here he is a powerful person in Egypt he sees an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Israelite Moses goes in kills the Egyptian but actually it goes bad for him and Pharaoh tries to kill Moses so Moses has to run away he has to leave Egypt he flees goes to another country Midian so now you've got the Israelites enslaved in Egypt with Pharaoh trying to kill them off and the one person who might have been in a position to do it he's actually cut off and he's in another whole country he's in Midian so this keeps doesn't really seem to be going that well Moses flees to Midian but then what do we notice in chapter 2 verses 23 to 25 still in group 5 Yes, God, this is, this is very precious verses. If you've got your Bible, let's flick to chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, but particularly 24 and 25. Um, every verse in the Bible is God-breathed. It's all precious, right? Every verse is precious. But just let me just quietly say, these verses are really precious. Like, if I can say that, right? That is, if you're in the habit of highlighting verses in your Bible, I would highlight exodus chapter 2 verses 24 and 25 these are really significant verses for helping us remember what the one true living god is actually like notice what we see there verse 24 god heard their groaning that is the israelites groaning he heard their cries he remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob so god looked on the israelites he saw their situation And God was concerned about them. Or literally, it reads, and he knew. Four verbs. God heard their cry. He remembered his promise to them, his covenant. He saw their situation and he knew what that meant. He knew what they were going through. Those are really precious verbs. They're just precious truths about the one true living God. He does hear your cry he does remember his promises to you and when God remembers promises it's not like you remembering did I where did I put my car keys like you know it's not or oh, where did I park the car when I went to the shops like when God remembers something it means he remembers and is going to now enact it he's going to do something about it so when he remembers his promise that means he's he hasn't forgotten he's going to take action On his promises. Fulfill those promises. He sees their situation and he knows what they're going through. Those are precious truths about the one true living God. And so, as a result, God then sends Moses back to Pharaoh Uh, on on the way. He talks to the other Israelite leaders and the Israelite leaders get really excited that actually maybe they're going to get rescued and they worship God. So it's all sounding pretty great. Except... Then we come to group 6. Group 6, chapter 5, 1 to 23. I'll get to do that one in a sec. Yeah, thank you. That's really excellent. That is, Pharaoh, his response is, the reason you're asking, making these religious spiritual requests is because you've got too much time on your hands. i am got to make you work harder so you stop thinking. I just want you basically exhausted and completely oppressed. You will stop thinking about these religious and spiritual thoughts. So let's make your work harder. Whereas before, as my slaves, you've been making all the bricks so I can build my cities. Those bricks require straw as one of the base products. I'm no longer going to provide you with straw. You now have to go and find all the straw and then turn out the same number of bricks. This makes it a massive, impossibly large task. So their situation has gone from very difficult to actually impossible and what's this going to mean pharaoh is not going to let up in his demands upon them so the israelites who are the supervisors they start freaking out they realize this is just not possible they whinge to moses moses complains to god like this has now become an even worse situation but what is god's response chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 someone want to share Now you will see. This, I'm talking Moses. What I will do to Pharaoh, because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. Uh, yeah, and he just kind of goes um, Yes. So the the Lord, the one true living God he reveals himself now if you've got chapter 6 open it'd be helpful to turn it up let me just point out something i can't go through everything he says here but this is again another really significant passage notice chapter 6 verse 2 god also said to moses i am the lord or yahweh now notice what he says i appeared to abraham to isaac and to jacob as god almighty but by my name the lord or yahweh i did not make myself known to them that is The one true living God is revealing himself more fully at this point than he had ever done before. God's response to what's going on for his people is he reveals even more about himself to them. And you can see that as the speech goes on, God's speech to Moses, it ends in verse 8 with that same refrain. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. The whole speech is about him revealing himself to Moses and the Israelites. In particular, jump to verse 7. He says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He's saying... When I rescue you from the Egyptians, that's when you will know that I am the true God. I am your God. When I rescue you, he reveals his own reality to them in an act of rescue, in an act of redemption. Now, if you know anything about the Christian Bible, if you know, then you'll, you'll know, hopefully, that the whole story of rescue, of salvation, comes to a climax in Easter, in what we remember at Easter, with Jesus' death and resurrection. That same truth, that the one true living God reveals himself to us in an act of redemption, is what you see at the death of Jesus and in his resurrection. The death of Jesus is where you, re- you, you finally realise the extent of the one true living God's love for us, that, that he would send his son to go through that for us, that he would take the punishment for our sin. And at the resurrection, what do you see? You see the power of the one true living God, winning the victory over sin and death. God reveals his reality in an act of redemption. That starts here in the Exodus. You see it most clearly in the events of Easter. So that's how the Lord responds here. And you might think, okay, right, God has revealed Himself to new levels here. Hopefully, that sort of reassured God's people. Look at how it's gone. Yes, their concrete situation has gone, gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But, but simultaneously with that, God has been working away at His promises, indeed, revealing even more of Himself and reassuring His people. So you might hope that you get to the end of that and go, well, if that were you, if you'd lived through that, where would you be at? What would you be thinking about with respect to God? Would you be full of hope, full of confidence, holding on? Or would you be, or would you be swayed away from trusting him by your situation? Because that's what happened to the Israelites if you actually go and read chapter 6 verses 9 to 12 you'll see that the israelite the israelites they despair they they don't believe god's promise in fact moses himself complains to god you've just made things worse the story ends at this point with disbelief in god's promises they are entirely swayed by the darkness of their situation and and that is not an uncommon scenario being swayed by the darkness of your situation rather than putting trust in the promises of God. So two things then to walk away with from this. First of all, as I've always already started to say, the whole of the Christian Old Testament helps us, prepares us really, for understanding God's climactic work in the person of Jesus Christ. So this, what we've seen here is preparing the way, helping you understand Jesus better. If you didn't have the Old Testament, then we wouldn't really understand Jesus very well. We wouldn't really understand what he was saying or the significance of what he was doing because we need, God, we need that preparation from God to then understand what he does climactically in Jesus. And so what you see here is God preparing the way for Jesus to help us understand Jesus. In particular, one of the things you notice is In the birth of Moses, here you have a type of saviour born amongst God's people who were in exile and who was significantly opposed. And you get the same story with Jesus. The saviour born amongst God's people in a type of exile that is all of God's promises had not been fulfilled to them and yet significantly opposed. Indeed, in his case, opposed by the very people he was born into, opposed by God's own people. But also, as I made clear just a moment ago, we see this truth that the one true living God reveals his his own reality to people in these acts of redemption. We saw it in the Exodus, but we also see that at Easter. So it's preparing us to understand Jesus better. But also at a personal level, it it pushes us to think about how do we respond to the promises of God in those dark moments? Because the reality is, God does hear your cry. And he remembers, he remembers his promises made to you in the Lord Jesus. You think about those promises. promise to never leave you or forsake you. He remembers that promise and he acts to fulfill that promise. He remembers his promise to you to wipe away one day every tear from your eye. He remembers that promise. He will act on that promise. He remembers the promise to no matter what sin it is that stains your heart, when you come back to him in faith, he will wash you clean no matter what that sin is. He remembers that promise. He remembers his promises to you. He hears your cry. He remembers the promise. He sees your situation. And he knows. the book of Hebrews says we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses jesus because in every way he was he's been tested as we are he knows he understands what you're going through so when those dark moments come i wish they wouldn't come but i know they will (laughs) remember have you got the four he He hears your cry. He remembers his promises to you in Jesus. He sees your situation. And he knows. He knows. So be confident in calling out to him in faith and trust.